This week's show with Dr. Susan K. Williams, Chief Executive of the Royal School of Needlework, is sponsored by Sassy Jack Stitchery. It looks like the dominoes have stopped falling and the building issues have come to an end. Kim is working feverishly to move inventory into the shop and get ready to open the doors. In the meantime, the Cosmo Thread Club is back in action. Existing members will begin receiving their shipments this month, and if you're not a member, go to sassyjackstitchery.com and sign up. The threads are beautiful, and you'll love stitching with them. While you're at the site, sign up for the Sassy Jacks Customer Loyalty Club. Lots of benefits for members. Also, spend some time exploring reproduction samplers from Sassafras Samplers and Queenstown Sampler Designs. You'll find it hard to choose your favorites. Put Sassy Jacks at sassyjackstitchery.com at the top of your list for all of your needlework needs. Thanks to Sassy Jack Stitchery for sponsoring this week's show. And now our conversation with Dr. Susan K. Williams of the Royal School of Needlework. Welcome back. I'm Gary Parr. And I'm Beth Ellicott. And you're listening to Fiber Talk, the twice-weekly podcast for needlework artists. Back with us, Dr. Susan K. Williams, the Chief Executive of the Royal School of Needlework. Susan, welcome. Thank you, Gary. Great to be back with you again. Oh, always fun. This is, what, our fifth time with someone from the Royal School, and four of them have been with you. So always, always fun. We appreciate the time. Oh, it's, it, as I say, great to be with you and to, you know, we, we just love talking about needlework and what the RSN is doing. So I'm always happy to be here. Yep. All right. The last time we talked about the stitch bank, which mm-hmm. is, that has just been a huge undertaking, but now we're, uh, we're taking another step with this thing. So let's, uh, let's get ourselves updated on what the stitch bank is and what it does. So kind of lay out for, for the listeners just what the stitch bank is for those who don't know. And if they don't know, they need to get plugged in for crying out loud. It's a, it's an excellent resource. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly do. So the RSN stitch bank, um, which is online, rsnstitchbank.org, um, is um, a resource whereby it shows you how to make a whole range of stitches. And as of Christmas Day, it was 400 stitches that we have on uh, the RSN Stitch Bank and it has how to do this stitch and it doesn't matter how you learn whether you learn from words pictures or video it has all three of those so that you can see how to make each stitch and even better if you're left-handed there is one little button on each page on the left of course and you (laughs) press that and it turns the whole thing around and it shows you how to stitch the stitch left-handed so it's a fantastic practical resource and it's it's there for everybody. It is free to access. And um, so you know, we're constantly trying to add new stitches. In fact, we, we had a special in December. We had our advent calendar was the 25 new stitches leading up to number 400. Um, and so this is just terrific to have. We know, whether you forget how to do a stitch, oh, which way do I, where's my needle and where's my thread, you can look it up on the RSN Stitch Bank. Or if you're thinking, oh, I'm fed up of doing chain stitch, what else is there? You can go to the RSN Stitch Bank for some new ideas and not necessarily new ones. 
the last 25 stitches we put on were Elizabethan stitches. Um, so you could go back and look at these stitches that you've probably never seen before. And then in some cases think, yeah, I kind of understand why that might have gone out of favour now. It's a bit complicated. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's really for just showing the variety of of stitches. And really, it's a fantastic resource. So if you're a new stitcher, you can look these stitches up and find out how to do them. If you're a curator and you've got some embroidered articles, whether they be garments or household pieces, you can go to the Stitch Bank and have a look. And the Stitch Bank has a little icon for each stitch. So you can look what does the finished stitch look like on the top? And then you can start looking at the icons and that can help you as a starting point to think what stitches might this be? Um, and you can narrow it down from there. So it's useful for teachers, it's useful for embroidery groups, for curators, for museum professionals. Yeah, so many people can use it uh, and really find it a fantastic resource. Someone in my... Um zoom group um we're working mm -hmm. on our cast 17th century caskets and she's she took one of the stitches and used it instead of the queen stitch she said it was just fantastic one of those from the the advent mm -hmm. calendar and mm -hmm. then another lady said she was going to try to stitch all of them that was going to be her like her little advent thing just do a little a little sampler of all the new st stitches that she put out um, during those days and i thought that was a fantastic idea just to to practice them and to learn how to use these the, the stitch bank yeah that's that we, we she's not the first person to do a sampler of taking different stitches that they've not come across before uh, as you say a great way to learn how to do the stitches and to incorporate them in something that will make it next time you want to use them you think oh yeah i, I remember that stitch and you can go back and and even if you can't remember how you did it you can look it up again um and that just makes it very accessible that was a, it was a neat a neat program the the advent. Yeah, the the part that impresses me from an educational perspective about the Stitch Bank is is no matter how you learn, there's a way for you to learn a stitch because everybody has to learn a different way: visual, reading, uh, mm -hmm. demonstration, and 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 it, it isn't just here's how to do it. It's the, the filming, the instructions are so clear and so well done mm -hmm. and consistent stitch to stitch that uh, yeah. it, it's really easy to, to get connected and take advantage of them. It's just, it's a superb resource. It, we, it certainly is. And we have, we have a very small team who work on this. It's only four people part-time. Um, so there is that consistency of how they're showing the stitch. And again, even on the little videos, it's not just one stitch, it's repeated. So you can see several stitches being worked to really help you get it. Um, uh, and so that, that I think, is what has, what has really helped people. And stitches from all over the world. Absolutely. I mean, I have to say, we would like to do more on international stitches. Um, and we, we're, we are trying to raise additional funds to do this. Um, and we've got connections with many different countries. Uh, but... Um, at the moment, certainly in Britain, at the moment, a lot of the heritage and archival type funds have closed down while they concentrate on kind of cost of living crisis and those kind of things. And um, so we're just waiting to be able to apply for, for new funds to be able to um, take different countries 
and work with the people that we know in those countries and the stitches that there are there, because that will really enhance it. And we'll be able to see, you know, for example, I mentioned chain stitch. We know, and I like this, chain stitch has gone around the world. Um, <laughs> many different countries have used chain stitch, but um, there will be other stitches that are just uh, used in, in one or two small pockets even of a country. So that's what we would like to be able to um, bring together and, you know, stitch examples um, as well as how to do the stitches from different countries. So that, that's our big hope for how we might develop this in the future. Um, because you know, one of the questions people ask is, how many stitches are there in the world? And I have to say, <laughs> I have no idea. Because, you know, are we going to find that quite a few stitches are repeated? Or are we going to find that there are little pockets of lots of different stitches? Uh, and that's the exciting thing, right. uh, finding out what there might be. Right. And, and I'll be curious, as, as time goes by and you, you start to get more uh, international stitches, how many variations you might find on any given mm -hmm. stitch, because um, you know that'll happen too. Oh, absolutely. So something might look the same, but it might be worked in a different way, or you know, what's, how it's done behind might be different. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're curious about that as well. That'll be really interesting. Yeah. No, it's it's just such a great resource. It it really is. So and and it, funding and so on and so forth. How how do people get involved in this? How do they sponsor a stitch? How can they contribute to further the cause? What you must have mechanisms in place for all of that. We we do, and we've we've just modified it for twenty twenty four, because when we first started it, we said one person one stitch. But um, we've now got to the point where we have to do so much checking as to whether a new stitch is indeed a new stitch that that's become too complicated. So what we're doing for 2024 is we are encouraging um, people to make us a donation, anything from £25 up. And then they can simply choose which stitch they'd like to sponsor for this year. And then we'll add their names to those pages. So 100 people could sponsor Chain Stitch or French Knot or um, Turkey Rug Stitch this year, um, and their names will go on for a year um, following their donation, um, and that will just help us to keep it going and adding on those stitches and doing that research in the background to see what else we can find. Um, so that that's now live that people can do it. And, um, yeah, it's a great way to help us keep it going. And as I say, this now, although the original sponsor's name, that will stay there. But on the bottom of each page, there'll be a list of all the people who want to sponsor particular stitches for this year. Okay, all right, let's back that up a little bit, because the, the original was that you would sponsor a stitch and then your name mm -hmm. would be attached to that stitch for duration. But Correct, and that's, that, that remains. That yes. remains, but now I can come in and pick my favorite stitch or my yeah. most hated stitch and, yes. <laughs> and sponsor that for a year as a way yes. to get a little recognition, but more important, to put some funding into this project. Exactly that, yes. And then that way... It keeps the access to it, you know, uh, free for everybody and um, and accessible to everybody, uh, and that that is really important. Um, okay. So that's why why we're doing this. Yeah. Now, do we have a list of upcoming stitches that someone might say I want to uh, sponsor? We don't at the moment because okay. we have we have a backlog of stitches that has, <laughs> that have been sponsored, and so from the March launch and the June launch. 
those are almost complete already with sponsored stitches that we need to to bring to the fore. Uh, and as I say, it's now getting really complicated because there's so much checking that has to go on right. as to whether we've got this stitch on already and it's just a variation or a different name. That we're that we're actually sort of holding on to that part at the moment uh, until we can um, launch some additional stitches that people can have the sort of full sponsorship of. But the um, we just thought by doing it that you could give your support for a year to a stitch of your choice. That was a way that more people could get involved. Uh, and as I say, when we originally na- launched it, I think chain stitch was the most popular stitch that people kept saying, could they sponsor? And I had to tell them that that had gone very early on. Yeah. Um, but But now they can. They can get involved that way. So the team must now have days where they go, what what monster is this we've created? <laughs> a little bit of that, yes. As they kind of somebody sends in a stitch that they found on something, and then we have to kind of look at it and 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 this, without physically taking it apart, look exactly how it was worked, and then ah oh, no, actually it's not a new one. It's it's like this with a variation. You know, it's all those kind of things that just right. make it a bit more complicated. Oh boy. Well, it's, uh, I mean, that's, that's fun to a point and I'm sure frustrating uh, at some uh, level, but, uh, uh, you know, when you start something like this and and there's no end to it, uh, that's Mm. a, to me, that's a real positive thing because uh, it it just grows and gets better all the time. So it does. Yes. Now you guys have a tremendous archive of stitched whatever. Stitch textiles, yes. Yeah, Hmm. textiles, uh, any number of things, I'm sure. Does somebody go back through those and start to see if there are stitches that they might uh, bring forward to, to go in the bank, or is that yet another project down the road? Well, no, that is actually, it is another project, but it's an already started project. So we have just started our digitization project. And we we have a curator and we're just apart, appointing an archivist. But for the curator, um, she is, well, we're starting with 100 objects that will sort of represent the variety and the range of our collection. Because we don't buy anything for the collection. It's all been donated. So it's incredibly eclectic. And we want to kind of give people a flavour of what we've got in the collection. So um, we've been selecting the the 100 objects. And at the moment, those are then being photographed. They're being documented. They're having a proper catalogue record written about them and everything like that. And as part of that, we have some of our volunteers who are going through the stitches and they are saying, oh, what stitches are these? Um, Can we identify them on the stitch bank? Or is there something new here? Hmm. So that will that will be part of the whole digitization project. Wow! wow. And we and we have a show coming up here uh, in a few weeks anyway with Isabella to talk about that whole project. So looking forward to that. You do indeed. I'll be, I'll be back with her on for that. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. It, it will be good to talk about that in more detail. Oh. Mm. <laughs> good. It's going to be fantastic to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a great show. Yeah. But- Yep. It'll be a great that's a great resource. You know, if you want to be able to see, you know, an older textile and, and have that online, how exciting. It is indeed. You know, and the challenges of photographing three dimensional objects and uh, again, trying to photograph them in some cases down to the stitch level. Um, 
uh, and others where they've got more common stitches may not have to be that detailed. But uh, yeah, anyway, we can tell you all about that next time. Yeah. Well, and this gets into what we were talking about before we started recording, uh, the outreach that you guys are able to do with, with digital <laughs> technology and, and the advances that the pandemic forced on us, uh, you know, these kinds of things for, for people who just will never be able to get to uh, the palace, mm-hmm. it, it's an opportunity uh, for them to experience and enjoy what you know, the treasures that you guys have and, yeah. uh, and, and share it all over the world. That's, you know, it's just great that you're able to do that. It, it certainly is. And we, we do um, talks and webinars uh, twice a month. Uh, I, I happened to do, do one last night on white work. And I gave talked about the history of white work generally. And then I used pieces from the collection that related to costume, related to babies' clothes and christening robes and household textiles, you know, just the widest range that we have. And so we, we do those live, as I say, twice a month, but we would record them. And then if, if somebody missed it or they want to go back and rehear it, they can go back um, to listen again. And, um, and past talks are all online as well. So people can have access to these and learn a bit more about our collection uh, and see it in that wider context um, of, the, of the type of embroidery or whatever the, the topic might be. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's where people you know get on the newsletter, get signed up, get your name on the list, so that because there's so much that the Royal School offers that doesn't require you to pay a fee, uh, you can do from your home and uh, really enhance your enjoyment of needlework. Uh, get on a list so you get informed about these things. Yes, just go to our website, which is royal-needlework.org.uk, and there's a pop-up that comes to fill in for our e-news, and that gives you all that information. Yeah, and then speaking of of talks now, we've got one on the Stitch Bank coming up on January 24, right? That is correct. Um, But at the moment, um, we only have a waiting list because there are so many people who've signed up for it. Um, But... uh, but, but I did actually say to people last night that if they'd booked a ticket and they now couldn't come, could they give up their ticket so that we could allow more people in on the on the waiting list? Um, but uh, yes, that's um, that's going to be very popular. But again, that will be recorded. So if you don't get to hear it live, you could follow it up afterwards and um, and hear all about it. And that's. We've got a number of people who use the the stitch bank. So there's a teacher, there's one of the RSN tutors, there's Isabella, our curator, there's the curator of of a local museum and someone from the National Trust. And um, I think, uh, no, not the V&A, she can't come. But um, other people who are talking about how they've used it. And uh, again, to give ideas, um, and I'll give some anecdotes about how some um, stitch groups have used it as well. Um, so there'll be lots to learn uh, and, and hopefully give people some ideas about how useful it can be. So the message is not good. sign up for the live thing, but make a note and go back and, and see the recorded uh, uh, version. I, I think it is this time, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great that's problem nice to have. Hmm. <laughs> And it's nice that they're recorded, though, because sometimes I can't make it at a set time. 
but maybe in the middle of the day, I have time and I can listen to one of those lectures. So it's to have them recorded for some of us is just, it's like perfect. I can go back and get that and, and listen to those lectures. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's really useful. And um, uh, it's great. You know, again, some people have heard it before, but they didn't get everything and they want to listen to it again. So just it's really useful, I think, to to give people that option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. The tutor training program. We're just going to go through this list of things so people can really <laughs> enjoy it, realize it, it's really realize what the, the Royal School offers. So now we've got mm-hmm. uh, an, an updated version of the tutor training program coming up. That is correct. So the the tutor training program, um, the the current one, uh, has been operating since 2012. So it was time to review it and to move it forward. Um, so it the new program will be launched in um, September 2024, and it's a three year full time no well three year program that you need to be on site two days a week, but you also need to give other time to it. And what we're saying is that, that um, you know, people could have a job alongside doing this program because we realise that it's too much for most people to give up everything and come and do a three-year full-time program. So that's why we have changed it to being two days on site and then you fit in the rest of the curriculum around your working life or family life or whatever else it might be. Um, but it's really focused on um, the, the, the learning and then the teaching. So um, there's no studio module as part of this program now. We've taken that out. Um, and so it's very much on the learning the different techniques up to the standard whereby you can teach for the RSN and then um, learning how to teach Um, because there are certain ways that we teach which we're not saying are the best but we're saying these are the ways we teach and um, they have they have stood their test of time Um, so that's what we want to pass on in in how best um, for our tutors to teach so um, it is a course where you would need to be here on site and the only bad thing about that is that um our, our dear government doesn't recognise the course it's because it's not the same as a degree course. Uh, and so I have, to, I have to just give a little bit of a warning that if people don't have the right to come here from uh, a, another country um, longer than, say, a six-month visa, then um, it's not really going to be possible for you to do this course um, because we can't get you the academic visa for it, unlike the degree. I know it's a, it's a nightmare, um, but I just wanted to be upfront before I have lots of people sort of wanting to apply from America or Canada. Um, it, it's just one of those caveats we have to put on it. I mean, we have had somebody here from Australia because they were able to come and stay for three years and, and did the course previously, but um, it depends on on the government relationships and and all of that really, uh, which is way above my pay grade, as they say. <laughs> um, so, so unfortunately, we can't influence that. But um, it, it is going to be what we do for the future. And um, as I say, this is going to be launched very soon. So more details are coming out um, later this month and um, beginning of February uh, as to what the course comprises and um, how it will how it will operate. Yeah. Um, 
But um, but it's you know it's it's quite right that a course should be reviewed after a decade and making it into being the most appropriate thing it can be. Well, but isn't isn't that really the thing? Is if if you guys are going to uh, keep growing and and keep moving forward. You you have to constantly review what you're doing. I mean, that, that's, that's right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, things like you know online teaching, which was not even a thing right. five years ago. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, right. So making people aware of how to do that, how best to show their work and um, and the value of things like WhatsApp, whereby you, know, you can take a photograph, send it to your tutor, they can enlarge it and see exactly how you are doing, you know. Um, so learning all of these tricks and skills is really important. Yeah. Well, we've, I mean, we've talked to so many of your former students and former teachers and mm-hmm. uh, you know, the message that comes through all the time is, is what a superb foundation for technique and, and approach that the, the Royal School provides that yeah. if they, they, whether they stick to it or they say, all right, that's my launching point to go do what I want to do. Either mm-hmm. way there, it's, it's based on a rock solid foundation. And, uh, um, I, I don't think we've ever had one complain about that. You know, it's, it's just, you know, it's just so it's a place to, to start and, and you're so well-schooled yeah. when you're done that, um, uh, yeah, absolutely. It is. It is that technical basis. And then people can take it off in so many different directions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. And, and have and have. And that's the, yes. the neat yes. thing. Mm. Yep. Now, it's always so much fun to, to speak to your former teachers and, and students because it's um, you, you just know that for them, the Royal School is home base. You can just feel it in mm-hmm. their in their statements and everything else. It's home base. It's it's yeah. what, what they lean on all the time. Mm. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's great. Yep. All right. Now we've got the summer school returning to the U.S. We have indeed. And um, yes, we were, of course, we were meant to come back in 2020. And of course, that never happened. Um, so it's taken a while to get us back. But um, we are going back to say a school in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, and this time we've broken it down a bit more. So there are two, three and five day courses and also we've included weekends so that people who don't have, can't take as much time off work could come. Um, and we've got uh, it's eight, um, eight main teachers, plus we're also doing our certificate and diploma, and two teachers are teaching that. And so we've got a total of 12 places on that. Um, and then, let's the, the, say, the short courses, and they're all happening on different days. But uh, it's you know, bringing our teachers back for that, that even if you've had a great online experience, it's still more fun to be together in the classroom and sharing with like-minded people and having a go at a project. Um, and um, so that we're really looking forward to. And I shall be coming and I'll be doing some talks and um, uh, giving a bit, you know, more background on the RSN uh, and probably bringing with me some of our recent donations um, just to show people the wide variety of things uh, that we get given, um, uh, at least as many as I can fit into a small suitcase. And um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, well, yes, I mean, some of them, it's just that I can't, couldn't possibly take that, but um, other things are, are smaller and really interesting. So um, over the next few months, I'm sure we'll be given more pieces and I'll select ones to come uh, and you know, talk them through with the people in the audience. It, it's always great. Um, and sometimes we also get 
great feedback. We know I might not know what something is, but somebody else might recognize what it is. Uh, and that's fantastic. Um, but, um, it, yeah, we, we truly have such a variety, an eclectic range of things in the collection. Um, and I'm always um, interested when I'm offered something different and interesting. Um, but alas, you know, needlepoint, we've plenty of that. We don't need any more. But if there are <laughs> more, more quirky things and um, uh, things from different periods, uh, that's always of interest. Yeah. And that suitcase will have its own uh, airplane seat right next to you, all strapped in. Oh, absolutely! Oh, yes, <laughs> it most definitely comes inside the plane with me. You know, I have to, I have to compromise what I take in clothing so that I have the, the suitcase with the, with the collection pieces in it. Oh man, um, I'd be so nervous hauling that around. Oh boy! Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yes, I think I think last time the most nervous I got was when. Um, one of the security wanted to open it. Oh, no. And, and all of my pieces were all wrapped in tissue paper, and he's wanting to open them all up. <laughs> no. A bit of a <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. So take us through this summer school. Now, it's at the Sayre School is the, is the location. Do, do people get hotel rooms? Are there dormitories? Uh, so people people can get hotel rooms. In fact, there are more hotels nearer to it now than there were back in 2018 when we were out there the first time. And it has to be said that um, the pricing of those hotel rooms is quite good in comparison to, say, going to a big city. Um, so we had lots of people who had got very good deals on their accommodation. Um, but Again, you get the accommodation, you park up, and then you can walk to the school because they're all fairly nearby. Um, and it's right in the in the centre of um, Lexington. Um, and there are little places that you can go for a sandwich or whatever for lunch. Um, and there's coffee places nearby. Uh, and the school, it means that what we can do is that each class is in a separate classroom. There is lots of light um, and there's... Um, the space for everybody in the classroom. And again, we, we teach on a well one to 12 or one to 14 basis. We don't go higher than that. So that again, the teacher has enough time for everybody. And in addition to the main teacher, we're bringing a sort of runner teacher who will be able to be with different classes at different times uh, as things get started so that they, that, you know, more people can, can get involved. And, um, uh, we're doing a, a variety of uh, of different classes, um, so different techniques, so gold work, cruel work, um, silk shading, uh, all these kind of uh, different techniques, and including, um, for example, uh, our tutor Kate Barlow ha did um, previously did one of the birds on our wonderful four panel screen, uh, the Jacobean screen that even if people haven't been, many of them will have seen it online. And she's doing another of the birds from that for uh, a five-day class this year. Um, so I think that will be of great interest. Uh, and then following on from our coronation activities, we've got um, two pieces of gold work. One is a is a coach and um, one is a more of a sort of flower, floral insignia um, to link to that and just the gold work technique. So again, for people who are less familiar with gold work, it's a great way to have uh, an introduction to that. Um, we've got, as I say, some silk shading courses, um, linking again to the always popular 
flowers. Um, and, um, and we've got some teachers who've been before and some, some newer teachers or, or uh, people who hadn't been to America anyway before, which is great. So there's just a, such a variety. So these are now all on our website um, and it's down there as International Summer School. And we've got special prices for people booking um, through January um, to get the early bird. And if you're a friend of the RSN, you get an even better price. Um, So um, that's the that's the thing to do. Um, Become a friend and then you get a a, a really good price. And um, as I say, you'll have the opportunity to to meet us, to chat to us. And, um, you know, I'm there for the entire time and happy to chat with people. And we have the talks and we have extras and and special events going on as well through the time through the fortnight now something else that i think you know people say royal school i can't i can't operate at that level Uh, there are there are beginner classes it's it's it doesn't matter what you're yeah there certainly are and certainly things like the two-day classes we're not expecting anyone to come with prior experience for those so many of them they'll say on them what their level is but we we really want people to come and have a go never feel put off unless it specifically says advanced but they, you know but everything else if it's mixed level or beginner level then come and have a go and our teachers are so experienced in starting people off uh, and letting them um, find their way in um, that really it, it's for everybody and no one should be saying oh I'm not good enough to go to the Royal School that's nonsense you know I am not one of our superior stitches at all um but you know they've shown me how to do a lot more and a lot better so you know it's for everybody yeah i i just think uh, that that point needed to be made uh, clearly yeah. it's um yeah it, it, come and enjoy it experience it and learn yes 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 so we've got the, the lexington classes are uh, live um and uh, plus in, in addition to that, Nicola Jarvis will be doing one online because she's in the middle of writing a book. And she said, I'm sorry, I really can't come, but we're going to have her online. And But the class will be there as a class as a whole. And our runner teacher will be there to, to help everybody in getting them started and getting them going on that. But then in addition, in later on in February, we'll be um, offering the online options and the Hampton Court options for the summer school this year. So those will be coming through, uh, but later on. We, we really want um, Lexington to have sort of first bite of the cherry, if you like, and uh, really want to encourage people to to come and see us there. Yeah, and next week is our show with uh, Nicola on her uh, first of her new books. And oh boy, uh-huh. oh boy. <laughs> yeah, that's yes. yes. She is fabulous. indeed busy, as you say. She's writing two books, and that's why she's so busy and uh, uh, and can't come out. Yeah, right. yeah. Mm. Oh, that first book! Oh, can't wait to get my hands on that sucker. That's a that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, Beth, you had written down here that you wanted to talk about the Tudor Rose Queen Mary's doll bed. Yeah. So the class is being offered at the at Windsor Palace. So yes. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So what's Queen Mary's doll bed? I was like, ah, ah, well, this year, 2024, is the centenary of Queen Mary's doll's house. 
And Queen Mary's Dolls House is the largest, most significant dolls house in the world. It is huge. And it was made in the, in the 1920s um, for Queen Mary by really significant manufacturers. And I'm, so I'm, you know, I'm talking those really big names who made tiny, tiny miniature pieces for this royal doll's house. So it's got uh, it's got a library. And in the library, there are something like 170 books. And they are miniature, but they've actually got ones that have got handwriting in from people like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, you know, so people who were writers at the time um, have handwritten inside these tiny books that have then been put into the library. And in, um, in there are two bedrooms, the Queen's bedroom and the King's bedroom. And the Royal School of Needlework worked the bedhead for uh, the King's uh, bed and for the Queen's bed. And in fact, we also did some other pieces, not all of which actually remain in the doll's house. Uh, we have, for example, um, a needlepoint picture of a kingfisher. And um, in English terms, it is smaller than a standard stamp would be. Oh. Uh, I'm just trying to think of that in American terms and inches. And it's probably about um, uh, three quarters of an inch one way by an inch the other way. Oh. It's it's very tiny, worked in very, very fine stitching indeed. Um and, um, and and it comes with a little magnifying glass so that you can look at it in more detail. Um, oh so that that was worked, but it wasn't actually used. So because it's the centenary of this doll's house, um, which, for example, it has a little tree in a or a branch, like a sort of bonsai tree in a bowl. And when you look very closely at the bonsai tree, it has diamonds in it, real diamonds. Oh, and no. that was made by, by Fabergé. Um, and there is a kettle that was made out of a penny that's been really bashed down and then made into a kettle. Um, and so there's a, a kitchen and there's the nursery and all these other different rooms. There's the sitting room uh, and with silk um, wall hangings and portraits of the Queen and the King and so on. It even has a little piano, but apparently the piano plays, it does play, but it's at such a high key, most people can't hear it. I think only dogs can hear it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so this is, it, I, I would suggest that you Google this, go to the Royal Collection and Google Queen Mary's Doll's House because um, they are doing some features on it um, this year because it is the centenary. Um, and um, yes, yeah, so so the the Royal School of Needlework connection is that we worked on pieces that are in the King's and the Queen's bedrooms, and particularly the King's uh, bed and the bedhead on that. Uh, and so this is one of our partnership classes uh, where it gives people the opportunity to. I think the phrase we would use is to go behind the velvet rope. So you know, <laughs> if you go to a stately home, normally you have to stay in front. Um, this would give you the opportunity to have a special part to it. You might get a, um, a talk by the curator. You might get a special visit to look at the house. And and the doll's house, there is always a queue to 
to look at the Dole's House because it is so popular uh, and so amazing uh, with all the work and the craftsmanship that it in- incorporates. Um, so that is what it's about uh, and what it means. <laughs> I was just curious because you're offering you are offering a, a class then with that. Um mm-hmm to do a little stitching and, and, and the piece itself was beautiful. And I was like, Oh, that's gorgeous. Where's And I said, I just looked at, I was looking at the pictures and then I said, Oh, that's at the it's Windsor, Windsor Castle. <laughs> Can't go and take that one. <laughs> no, that that's it's not an online one that you have to do in person. But that's the whole the whole thing of our partnership classes are we're looking to do special classes with places that have an RSN connection. So hence Queen Mary's Dolls House here or Canterbury Cathedral where we have done uh, pieces for them or um, other stately homes where, again, they've got pieces in uh, in their collection that link to the RSN. So this just adds something a bit more experiential. It's not just all about the stitching, but about the connections and about the stories there. Right. Okay, but, uh, there you go, Beth. Yeah. Tell my husband, I'm sorry, I've got to go. I've got yep. to go and yeah. take a flight. I, I, I think you're going to make that flight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Road trip. Yep. Road trip. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that'll fly. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're not home one day because you got on the plane, you know, what are they going to do? You know? Um, That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Just Call- leave stuff in the freezer and I'm sure they'll cope. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, I'm in London. Can't help you. Yeah, yeah you're on your own. Yeah. Speaking of doing work for the uh, royal family, did did the mm-hmm. whole Hampton Court Palace give a huge sigh of relief when you finished your coronation work? <laughs> well, um, it, it was it was amazing and fascinating. You know, we worked on nine pieces for the coronation. Wow. Yes, and and the reason why it was so many was because. We are the only place that can bring in all those really high quality technical stitches to work on things in a very short time frame. I mean, we um, at, at Christmas last year, we were only actually working on one piece. Everything else came in after Christmas and the coronation was at the early part of May. So this was not a long time frame. Um, Nothing like last minute. Holy smokes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you forget... Well, we forget because it was 70 years ago for the last one. But just how many decisions the king and queen are making you know, on a daily basis about every part of the coronation and about what, whether they wanted new or recycled or repurposed. So, for example, um, the, the things that we did, we, we um, conserved the robe of state. That's the red one that the king wore as he entered the abbey. Then we did new ciphers for the two cipher chairs that they sat in at the beginning of the ceremony, um, because obviously the ciphers are new. They haven't existed before. Then we did the anointing screen, that very large six panel screen, mm. uh, which went around the king when he was being anointed. Um, and we that was designed externally, but the, we then made it come together. And on the main panel, which had the um, the 52 countries of the Commonwealth, 150 people worked on that um, because we wanted <laughs> to en- encourage participation. Then we worked on uh, the girdle and the stole 
uh, that the king wore when he was actually being crowned. Uh, and the stole was actually the last thing that we started because we had to wait for A, the king to make a decision, was he having a new one? And B, for it then to be designed by the College of Heralds before it could come to us. Um, so that wasn't actually started until March. Oh, my. Um, oh, my. Yes. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> and then um, then the next thing that we did was the two, uh, the crests for the crest chairs. Now, the crests are, is more complicated because they're actually on the front and the back. But the king's crest, that hasn't changed since George VI. So what we did then was actually cut out our own work that we had done, we, the RSN, had done back in 1937. We cut out the crest from the, the fabric it was then on, and then it was it was reapplied onto new fabric because the queen, you know, the queen's crest, that will be different for every queen because every queen has different lineage. So we and we worked two of those side by side simultaneously so we could make sure that they were exactly the same. And then they were applied onto their velvet as well. And then all that went to the upholsterers who put it all together um, onto the chairs. And then um, the final piece that we did was uh, the Queen's, what's known as the robe of estate, which is the train that, that the Queen wore to leave the Abbey. And that was the one where we had done all the design as well as the embroidery. And it has 24 different flowers on it and it has half a dozen different insects on it. And it really was something that was a tribute to the king and the queen in terms of their interest in biodiversity and um, plant life and the natural world and organic gardening and all those things. Um, so they were celebrated by the plants that we chose to, to feature on that piece. Yeah. Now, OK, two questions here, one at a time, though. Mm. With the pieces that have been around forever that now get taken out of storage and reused, is there, are they stored well enough that you don't have to do much work or do they need a good deal of, of TLC to get them up to snuff? They are well stored within the Royal Collection. And it's more about how old the fabric is. Now, on the robe that the king wore to enter the abbey, we know, he knows, that this was last used by George VI in 1937. What we don't know, and nor does Royal Collection, um, whether, how old it actually was at that point. Because when our team were handling it, they felt that it was older. And Royal Collection thinks it might be older, it might even go back to Edward the Seventh, which was 1902. Um, <laughs> but, but we have to. There's a, there's a third party who works on these robes, and they're a company called Ede and Ravenscroft, and we're waiting for them to see if they can find it in their archives, because neither Royal Collection nor ourselves has anything further on that robe, other than it came back to us for TLC in 37. But. Um, uh, you know, th that's what we're uh, waiting to find out, um, because, as I say, our, our team certainly felt that it felt like it was older than just back to 37. Wow. wow. OK, but, but yeah. so this this really illustrates how important it is for the Royal School to teach all of its students the, the Royal School way, if you can, if you, if you will, but to teach because there's so much history, and when these things come up, 
the consistency needs to be there. Uh, absolutely. Uh, two things here. First of all, when we did the Queen's robe of a, of a state Queen Elizabeth II's robe of the state in 1953, we used a technique known as coronation goldwork. We still teach that to this day to many of our tutor students. And so they started le leaping up and down on Insta going, I've, I've got coronation goldwork, I've got coronation goldwork. <laughs> but actually, the current queen, Queen Camilla, asked that we had something that was actually lighter and looked lighter. And so we didn't use pure coronation gold work. We use much more modern techniques of gold work. So it's, it's not as heavy, literally not as heavy and padded uh, as that. So we too can move on with our technique. But then once people did come in, they knew how to work collectively. So we always say it's, it's worked by a team, but at the end, it will look like the work of one person. Yeah, and, and this, this really illustrates how important that is. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Because right. on those timeframes, no one person could accomplish all that. <laughs> no, indeed. And, and we, our other mantra is when we're in a rush, never a seat shall go cold. So if one person <laughs> gets up for a cup of tea, somebody else can sit down and carry on. <laughs> wow. I know. I know. And I can't imagine the upholsterer saying, OK, are you are you done yet? Are you done yet? <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to put this together. I need to put this together. <laughs> yeah, no, we were working quite closely with them so they knew when things were coming uh, and they could, because um, they had the two sets of chairs to do. Um, and so we had a timetable worked out with them. Yeah, I just can imagine, you know, the pressure to get everything done on time and everything ready. Oh, amazing. Yes, it was, it was, it was a challenge, but we, those are the kind of things that we rise to. And, um, uh, you know, interestingly, back in 1953, um, one of the pieces that was used was an altar dorsal. This goes above and behind the altar in Westminster Abbey that we'd actually made in 1911 for George V and Queen Mary. Uh, and this was used. And I, I have more recently learnt that that shouldn't have been used, that, that a new one had been commissioned, not from the RSN, but it wasn't finished. And that was why they had to use the 1911 one. Mm. Um, so, you know, we're, we're very adamant that if, if we're asked to do it, it will be finished and it will be done on time. And what an honor to do that kind of work. Wow. Yeah. What a, what mm. a true honor. When, when new pieces uh, are to be made, are you told what the piece will look like or is there collaboration or is it or is it Royal School create a design for us? It, it depends on which one it is. So for the robe of the state for the Queen, um, our team talked with the King and Queen and then they sent ideas about the design. Um, but it was our team that designed it all together. Um, and then the King and Queen actually came to visit us back in March of last year, um, which was a very special visit. Yes. And, and they're looking at it and it's the first time they've seen it. And they were so excited by uh, the robe of the state, actually seeing it live. They, they loved it. Um, the other pieces, uh, as I say, they went to the College of Heralds or um, other people were asked to design them. So um, they came with a design and we then interpreted that into embroidery. Okay. So there is an interpretation that you do that makes it happen because yes. the, the designers are not necessarily needleworkers. 
Correct. Yes. So we work out how it's going to look, how it's going to work uh, based on the design they've put together. Mm -hmm. Now, are are you just and I, I realize this all depends, but uh, are you just uh, at some point? Is it just up to you guys to make it happen or is there a, a constant checking? Is this OK? Is this OK? No, no. Um, to a large extent, it was um once once it had been agreed, we got on with it. Um, and um, there wasn't lots and lots of endless checking. We would pass information back just to keep people informed so they, they weren't sort of thinking what's happening. Right. Um, but it was more for that kind of information flow rather than them specifically checking on every last little bit. Yeah. Um, but so, some of the pieces did need collaboration. I mean, that the anointing screen, for example – You've got the poles that have got to hold the whole thing. So the, the size and the shape of it has all got to be agreed. There were the eagles that went on the top of the poles. They've got to fit. So, again, that's got to be collaborative, collaborated with and, and agreed. Um, and then um, there were the people who were going to be carrying it. So the, the guardsmen. So they had to have things to practice with initially. Oh. And in fact, I'm reliably informed that the things that they practiced with were harder to handle and heavier so that when they got the real thing, <laughs> it would be easier than they anticipated. Um, and, um, and they did lots of rehearsals uh, beforehand. Uh, and all the guardsmen who carried it um, were well over six feet tall, um, which gives you an idea not just for its, the height of the actual objects, but also that they would have the, the wherewithal to be able to carry this and make it look easy and not as though they were sort of struggling with it, you know. Right. Um, so they'd rehearsed and done all of that. So in many cases, there were definite collaborative elements because um, with the screen, we actually had that made up it, and it was in our rooms at um, Hampton Court and it looked enormous when it was in our rooms and, we, and getting in the way everywhere. And then it, it was, you know, we saw it at Westminster Abbey and because it was in the Abbey, it looked comparatively small. And then it was taken to Buckingham Palace and we took people to have a look at it. We, we invited our friends and we had six groups of friends that we took round to see, I think about 180 people. And um, all of them said to me, oh, it's much bigger than I thought it was having seen it on the television, you know, where it appeared to look smaller. And I said, well, it's quite funny because to me, it looks smaller here in Buckingham Palace than it did in our <laughs> rooms in the Royal School. Um, and it's just, you know, just the relative size that when it was in the ballroom at Buckingham Palace, of course, it looks slightly smaller than being the dominant piece um, in our offices. Wow. Okay, two more questions and then I'm going to stop about the coronation, but it just fascinates yeah. me. <laughs> um, when, when, when the event happens... Does mm -hmm. does everyone gather at, at Hampton Court to watch it together to experience, see the work that they did, or no? No, no it was a, it was an opportunity for many of our people to actually be back with their families for the first time in oh. some time. <laughs> of course, but we, but we did have um, we were the Queen gave us twenty places for people to be in the in the bleacher seats, which were opposite Buckingham Palace so that they could see everybody coming and going into the palace. And although it poured down, our, we selected 20 people who'd been part of the team working on the projects and they loved it because 
they said we can always go back and we can see the coronation on the on the you know iPlayer etc. And um, but here we we got to see so many things happening: the carriages coming and going, and the soldiers lining up and getting into ranks and and getting prepared. And it was just constant activity. And um, so even though they sat in the rain for all of that time, they said it was you know an experience not to be missed. Um, whereas um, people like Anne and Gemma, who had overseen the whole project. They actually have the opportunity to go back and be with their families for the day um, <laughs> and, and talk about it. Uh, and, and um, you yeah, know, they could then say to the family, this is the bit that we worked on yep. or this is what we did, you know. Yep. So that was important. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, they'd probably like to go home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Now, after, after uh, everything is over, all the ceremonies are over, does mm-hmm. do these pieces come back to you for any repair or inspection before they go into storage? Uh, no, they don't. At that point, they they are taken into the royal collection, um, and um, uh, only as and when they might be used. So, for example, the king's robe of state, the red one that he wore to enter the abbey he also wore for the state opening of parliament and that one has been back for just a little bit of tlc um for him to be able to continue to use it mm-hmm. um but the others they will stay with royal collection until such time as they might be wanted again okay and that's a whole group of people whose sole responsibility is to protect that collection then yeah oh absolutely yes it yeah. is mm-hmm. yeah no pressure there mm-hmm <laughs> wow what an experience though wow it, it certainly was you know it, it truly a once in a lifetime thing and you know given that it had been so long since the last one but for the rsn this was our fifth coronation mm. and um we have a little exhibition at the moment at the rsn about um our work on the fifth coronation um, and the, the previous four, but it's not the final pieces because we don't have those, but it's all the memorabilia, the fascinating pieces that we have in the collection that relate to it. And for example, the 1902 coronation of Edward II, when I was first at the RSN, which is now way back in 2007, we only actually had one piece of paper, uh, which was um, a, a little mini poster about the exhibition of Coronation Regalia, which was being held at the RSN. Uh, and that was the only thing that said we had any connection with the um, Edward Seventh Coronation. And um, now we've got 10 pieces that have come back into the collection that relate to that time. So it's been fascinating. And they've all come from different routes, including one from America. And um, so it's just been... You know, adds to our story and that's what we really like so right. we, we can tell our stories about 1902 1911 1937 1953 and now 2023 wow so cool all right i've got 500 other questions about that but we're going to stop because it, it just the the behind the scene you know the event's nice and it's it's amazing and and eye popping and all the pageantry is is really neat but what really interests me is is what goes into it to make it happen, and uh, mm, so it, much. You know, it's so, so much. there's so many people. You know, it's people that dedicate themselves to make that right for that one day, and or that however many days that the, all the ceremonies yeah. go on. And to me, that's the that's the real part. That's where the humans are at. And 
Absolutely. And and there were so many people involved in different times, particularly people from the Abbey, you know, whole teams of people there involved in different parts of it. Um, and um, it, it really is um, mind blowing when you think how many have, were involved and just things like the layout and things that were consistent with previous times and things that were different um, because there were there were some of those, you know, every every other minute there was one or the other, you know. Right. 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 Oh, fascinating. Okay. We'll do another show with my other 50 questions. All right. (laughs) Okay. Now the selfish part. Beth and I have been playing around and talking a lot. We've actually talked uh, quite a bit on a couple of shows about uh, holding our ground cloth and uh, for projects. And uh, Mm -hmm. we've both purchased uh, some slate frames and have had a discussion about trestles. And mm-hmm. uh, asked you to talk about this a little bit when we did this recording, and you sent yes. this photo from from forever ago about uh, yes. atta- just put a couple pieces of wood on your attached to your table, and there's your your trestle. Um, wow! Mm-hmm. So, so for the RSN, it is absolutely fundamental that you frame up in the best way possible. And to us, every time, that is a slate frame. So whether that slate frame has got a a very small piece of ground cloth in it, or whether it is the size of the Queen's robe of estate, which was, you know, 10, 12 feet long, um, we put those into, into trestles, into slate frames all the time. Because the slate frame means that you've fastened it up properly, that it's going to, to be a proper slate frame. When you have fastened it in, you can bounce something on the top of that fabric and it will stay rigid. Uh, and that's what you're trying to achieve because that will give you the best tension. It keeps its tension longer, far longer than in a hoop. Um, and again, it's, it's that bigger space and you haven't damaged the rest of the fabric you know because how many times do you start something you put it in a hoop uh, and then you don't finish it when you think you will and by the time you go back to it if you take it out of the hoop half the fabric has been stretched or damaged because it's been folded around the hoop so you, you get none of that with a slate frame so we would always advocate a slate frame and you can get them in many different sizes so you don't have to have a huge one uh, you can have, you know, a sort of 12 inch, 18 inch slate frame as a starting one. Um, and, and it's worth taking the time to prepare it properly, get it set up, and then it will always uh, work to its best. And then we put them onto trestles because the ideal is to have both of your hands free so that as you gain confidence in your stitching, you can have one hand on the top and one hand underneath. And, um, you know, as I say, I am not one of our super stitchers at all, but even I can operate that now uh, and have one hand on the top and one hand underneath um, and even can swap around which hands I use, top and bottom. Um, but it, it's just, it helps with the speed of stitching. It helps you you with the, the sort of professional aspect of stitching, if you like, getting it, it looking good and consistent stitching. And it's um, it just means that you're not kind of, faffing about trying to hold on to the hoop or whatever or have it stuck under your leg or something you know um it it just gives you a much more solid foundation 
But what can trestles be? Well, you you can get a proper set of trestles and the RSM sells them uh, and we ship them all over the world. But if you haven't got the space for that, then it's thinking about what's practical. I mean, Anne Butcher, who is our head of studio, the person who coordinated all the coronation work, when she was uh, an RSN apprentice, the entire time her, her mum had a clothes horse and she balanced her her slate frame on the clothes horse um, <laughs> for three years. Um, so, you know, that was what she did. And then, as, as Gary said, the picture that I sent to you is from the 16th century. And it's actually a gentleman stitcher, but he's got a table in front of the window. And then under the table, he's got two battens that pull out and he's simply resting his slate frame on these two battens. So that again, he's got his hands free. You can see his scissors on the side and his threads. And then, of course, when he finishes, he can just wrap up the, the slate frame, stand it up in the corner, and he can push the buttons back under the table. And hey, presto, you've got rid of them. So, you know, I, I think that's a really neat solution, yeah. and one that yeah. will still work today. Um, you know, let's learn from the 16th century for once. <laughs> so there, there are different approaches you can take. And it, you know, it depends on the space you've got. If you've got a stitching room and you've got plenty of room, have a set of trestles. Um, you can even hang a little bag on there for your threads, um, you know, as you're cutting them off and, and all of that, and your spare needles and so on um, can be really useful. Uh, but if you haven't got so much space, then think about how you can can do it practically, because it just is liberating to have a slate frame and trestles or the equivalent. Uh, and you can get on with the stitching instead of thinking about balancing it all and uh, and uh, and how you're going to work it and so on. Um, it, yeah, it's it's much more. Well, I, I use the word therapeutic at the end of the day. You know, that <laughs> yeah. you've got this in front of you. You can see all of what you're going to be doing, and it's all there. And you're not having to move um, hoops around or anything like that. Uh, I, yeah, I think it's really worth it. Okay. All right. Well, that's where I'm headed. But you had a throwaway comment there that made me stop and tip my cap. You can actually switch hands and have the one that's normally on the bottom on top and still stitch. Yes, I can. <laughs> oh, I am I am bowing low to you. Wow. <laughs> I can't even no, imagine I, I doing I'm that. Using different hands, top and bottom. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I and I try to do that, and I I just I can't. I always go back. For some reason, my left hand is on the top, even though I'm right-handed. And oh, anyway. no, that's quite normal. And the reason for that is because you're right-handed, that works almost on automatic pilot. So you don't need to see it so much. Whereas your left hand, the one that you use less, that being on the top means that you know you're you're still needing to guide that. Yeah, that's quite common. Okay. Right. There you go. You're normal, Beth. Think about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm normal. So, so we did have one other question, though. So, do you put needlepoint canvases on the tre- on the slate frames? Yes. Huh. Yes, I do. Mm. Yes, absolutely everything. Because it is still about, even though the with needlepoint you've got the canvas, it, you, your stitches are going to be more regular. It's it's still the best way, you know, unless you're traveling with it and a, a slate frame would be really too big to take, um, you know, because I would have to confess that over Christmas I was doing something and it was in a hoop. But um, 
it's kind of like, and I need to take it out of the hoop because I didn't finish it. Um, but it it would be much better in, in a slate frame. All right. So then, needlepoint canvas. Do you do something to the sides? Yes, you you can stitch on some um, tape at the side to okay. help it. Then you can um, again when you're doing your stringing at the side, the tape will go in onto the canvas. So stitch the tape onto the canvas and then stitch um, your your thread across um, from the tape onto the side of the slate frame again to keep it as tight and rigid as possible. Okay, all right, makes sense. Okay, well, I know that's where I'm headed um, after trying a hundred other things. So um. <laughs> good. <laughs> And and Gary, absolutely, you know, and I, I I tend to like my things a little looser. I know it's supposed to be drum tight, but I every time we've talked about slate frames, I'm like, oh, Gary, I think that's the way you need to go, you know, with everything. I think because he just likes it so taut when he, mm, mm. When he stitches. So yes, yeah, I can't I can't yeah. deal with it if there's any flop or give. I just can't cope with that. So no. And, and that's exactly what the slate frame is for. Make it as tight as you can to start with, and then it will be much, much more pleasurable to work with. All but right. Gary, you'll have, to, you'll have to limit yourself to how many slate frames you have, to how many projects you have on the go. <laughs> oh, well, you can have quite a few. I mean, you know, our degree students will be working on, in the first year degree, they're working on at least six to eight frames um, you know, so you don't, you don't need to limit yourself. <laughs> there, there, Beth. <laughs> nice so take that, Beth. Yeah. The nice thing about the slate frame is you can take it up, pick it up, put it down, and try it and use a different one. Yeah. Yeah, Beth. Even, right. Yeah. Even <laughs> in our studio, we'll be might be working on different projects for different customers, and and if we've sent some information back and that we're waiting for them to approve something, we could be working on a different slate frame. You know, so we we move the slate frames around all the time. I just, I just need to let um, you need to let Marga know that you're, you're, you need a few more slate frames, Gary. Oh, no, 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 that's that's a little too far, Beth. Now let <laughs> we just let them come in one at a time, and then she doesn't that's notice. Right. That's and then right. nobody, yes, no, then nobody notices. Yes, right. Right. That's, yeah. right. that's right. That's right. We all have our our ways of doing it. That's, that's right. right. Yep. Yes. All right, Susan. Thanks so much. Wow, what fun. Yeah, thank you. Oh, you're very welcome, Gary. All right. We appreciate it. And so, folks, uh, uh, check out the Stitch Bank and make your reservations uh, for the summer school in Lexington if you're in the U.S. And get on the list so you learn about all the online things that the Royal School does and uh, can experience it and learn from them. It's uh, just a terrific uh, uh, resource all the way around. And thank you, Susan. We really appreciate it. You're welcome, Gary. See you again. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, and thanks to everyone for listening.